Exceeding Expectations, episode 16. Welcome to Exceeding Expectations, the show about creating exceptional experiences for your customers. The guests on the show typically have the mindset of loving to over-deliver on their customers' expectations and are always trying to think of creative ways of how they can do that with each customer they work with. Our guest in this week's show is Jerry Brown. He's known as the Customer Service Lifeguard and he's got some great stories. So stick around. We're about to hear from Jerry in just a minute. Why not join the uh, Exceeding Expectations Facebook group? Have a conversation there about maybe anything you've heard in this episode or any previous episodes. And it would be fantastic if you could subscribe to the show on iTunes. Right now, let's hear from Jerry Brown. So we're here for another edition of Exceeding Expectations. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jerry Brown. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm really good today, Tony. Thank you. You've been uh, in customer service for quite a while. We were, we were talking beforehand, and you've got quite a lot of experience in the whole customer experience area. How, how long have you been doing it? Well, I, I guess probably before it was even called customer experience. Going back, uh, certainly, I would think the best part of uh, 25 or 30 years, uh, starting you know with, with work I did with Bell Canada, at times when it was really looking at how we could help people be more effective on the telephone. But a big part of that, of course, is creating an environment in which people want to talk to you. We all know how challenging it can be to, to pick up a phone and call someone and try to sell them something. So winning them over and getting them to understand what it is you can deliver for them is really important. So I guess it started then, but it wasn't probably until about 10 years ago when the, when the term customer experience became more well-known and, and people began to recognize it as a, I guess, as a, as a uh, a skill or, or a, an actual, if you like, a business as well, that, that I began to really take an interest in it. And I think it, um, what I've seen over the last 10 years is that there's still lots of people talking about it, but still not, not many people really doing it well. And I think we see that in our day-to-day interactions as customers. And so, because now you've got your own company, and do you what consult for people? What is it you do? I do. I, that's one of the things I do. Uh, in an ideal world, uh, somebody would uh, would be interested or or get to know me in one way or the other through some of the things I've written or see me speak, and um, would be interested in how I might be able to help them in with their customer experience challenges. Now, that could be from a strategy perspective. It could be that they've, they've decided that they really haven't been as customer-centric as they could be, and how do, we, how do we do that? They may find that actually they're not bad at it, but they don't have some, some of the missing components. That could be their staff maybe need a little bit of help. They could need some help with the technology. I've always said that technology isn't the natural starting point for creating a great customer experience. A lot of technology companies say, you know, put in our whizzy new tech and everything will be wonderful. But at the same time, once you've got some of the other things in place, making sure that your people have access to the right technology, can find information on customers quickly and easily, because that's what frustrates many of us when we when we deal with contact centers and, and they just don't know us. So, well, Mr. Brown, do you remember who you were talking to the last time, you know, and you go, through that with them and of course they you go through quite often especially on the phone you go through a uh, what they call id and v identification and verification where you have to 
either put in a password or do something. And then when you speak to someone, they ask you the same information all over again. So those kinds of things can be very frustrating. So helping organizations overcome that through an effective and, and intelligent use of technology is also something I help them with. Okay. And, and so now, I mean, obviously people listening to this, they're going to presume that you're in, in a state somewhere, but you're sure. here in England. So when did you... That's right. How, and well, how different is customer service in England to, to America? Well, um, it's probably uh, um, uh, uh, quite a lot different in many ways, but my background is in Canada rather than, uh, than the U.S. And I guess uh, I've spent probably half my life in both countries, in the U.K. and Canada. I was born here, um, went to Canada at a fairly early age, and, and grew up, and uh, most of my business experiences uh, are from, from Canada, uh, but also in the U.S. because I've being being that close and working for Canadian companies, there was always uh, situations where you had to do business in, in the U.S. as well. I think there are similarities between the U.S. and Canada. I know that people in uh, Europe quite often mock the North Americans, you know, have a nice day and all that kind of stuff. I, the, the thing I say about it is in Canada, I think they actually mean it. And I think Canadians are are really good at customer service. They've had awards uh, for for winning uh, or have been rated highly in customer service by various uh, organizations. And I think it comes down to their, you know, their personalities. They're naturally, they're very tolerant people, they're understanding. And I think there's a general feeling that uh, customer service in Canada is pretty good. I won't say it's perfect, but mm-hmm. a lot of the good experiences, really great experiences I've had, I've certainly had with Canadian companies. And, and how has how different has it been in the UK? Well, I think when we uh, when we came back here, which was twenty years ago, what brought me back here then was I was working for a company in in uh, Canada in the uh, contact center software business, and um, they uh, presented an opportunity to come here and and do some work here, and I thought, well, that was interesting, clearly because of my background. Um, but it wasn't really for, for nostalgic reasons. It was just it seemed like a good opportunity. And when we came back, this was in 1998, I'd say that customer service and customer experience was, was not particularly great here. I think one of the things that's improved it quite radically is the fact that people have traveled more. So a lot of people here, uh, if you think probably, I mean, not 20 years ago, but probably 30 or 40 years ago, the instances of people from the UK traveling frequently to, the, to Canada, US, was probably not that great. Now, more and more people go. They go to Disneyland. They have places in Florida and so on. So they've been exposed to that level of customer service for, for, for quite a few years. And I think that, as much as anything, has, uh, has uh, rubbed off on them. So I think people have been, become more demanding. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, a customer's expectations have been going up everywhere. But I think that has changed things. Uh, many of the organizations here, of course, uh, do business in the U.S. and Canada and realize that the service they have to deliver there is probably people are expecting a bit more. So I, I, it certainly has improved over the last few years. There's no question about that. And, and do you do business on mainland Europe as well? Uh, yes, indeed. It depends really on the organization. I think uh, working uh, as a pretty much as a, as a solo entrepreneur, um, it's not like I have a huge reach, but quite often I've worked in situations with companies who have have got a, a, a footprint across Europe, and therefore, if I'm doing something here, they have asked me, "Well, Jerry, could you help us with with this in our in our other organizations?" Which is which is you know really nice business if you can get it, so it's a good way of doing it. But my main target is generally in the UK and organizations that are UK based. Right. Okay. 
And so, and you mentioned before you've written how many books have you written? Uh, I've written one book and a number of uh, white papers on uh, customer service and okay. customer and, experience. And what was the title of the book? The the book is called "When a Customer Wins, Nobody Loses." And so, what is that? Well, I can guess what it must be about. Well, it's the the reason that, uh, that I came up with the title was that I. I had written a lot about customer experience and customer service, so I had quite a lot of information already there. And I, rather than starting afresh, I thought, well, I'll take what I've got and start to try and put it in some kind of order. And I, and I thought about various titles, and uh, I thought about things like, you know, wowing customers and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I thought, there's, there's quite a bit out there about that. And I thought, well, wowing is a good idea, and people like to be wowed. But I thought, mm, I'm not sure that's really w- what I wanted to be talking about. So the idea of a customer winning, the idea of a customer going into an interaction, whether it's in a store, whether it's online, whether it's in a contact center, and coming out of that feeling like they've won seemed like an important thing to me. So I started to think about you know, what that meant and how that translated, and that really seemed to make sense. And I think most of the people that... Um, I've talked to or I've described the book title to, they, they seem to think, yeah, you know, they kind of get that. So I think we all like to feel like we want to come out a winner. Mm. W- you know, winning is, is often in a sporting environment. You know, when somebody wins, somebody loses. But in a customer environment, there can be no loser. There really can't. And certainly it can't be the customer. But unfortunately, I think we find many times these days we do feel like we've come out on the wrong end of the stick. And so when did you do the book? Um, I published it early this year in 2018. So uh, it was again uh, putting putting together a lot of this stuff, finding you know some people that could help me publish it, and so I published that on Amazon in uh, April of this year. And how's the reaction been? It's been pretty good. Uh, I think you know I, I'm sure I could sell more. I'd like to sell more, and I think everyone that does, un- unless you happen to be you know somebody very very well known, um, you know I think no one's going to make. Uh, I'm certainly not going to make a fortune out of being an author, but I think in terms terms of it as a calling card in terms of being able to have someone look at something and say, well, look, if you kind of want to know what I think about things, mm. you know, here's the book and hopefully people will buy it. It's, you know, it's a reasonably priced book. So I'm hoping that, you know, people will think, oh, okay, it might be, maybe, maybe worth a read. So that's a good way to introduce yourself. And, and certainly if an organization or someone within an organization is looking to bring you on board and uh, they have to maybe go and talk to someone to get their get approval or something it's probably a little help more helpful to think say well actually he's written a book you should say oh mm. he's written a book oh that's good so it, it it adds some credibility i think that's the that's what i would say at this stage anyway and now that you've done that book mm. um and i imagine that because you must have had so many ideas in the first place to want to put them down in in that first book and are you now thinking, mm, I've got so many more ideas, I'm going to do a second one? Or? Absolutely. And, and I think really it's, it's to, as I think many authors do in this, in this kind of space, is really perhaps taking it off in a slightly different direction. One of the things I've got quite interested in lately and, and then is very important, I think, in a customer service and customer experience world is how you measure things. There's a lot of uh, debate about, you know, what are good measures in customer service and customer experience. And for many people, uh, they'll recognize uh, what is called the uh, Net Net Promoter Score, NPS, which is really developed from asking a very simple question. Would you recommend this customer to your friends and colleagues? And I've thought for quite some time that one single measure simply isn't enough. It's almost like saying you go to the doctor 
they take your temperature and they go, oh, it's 98.6, you're fine. Well, there may, there may be lots of other things going on, and unless you do other tests, unless you do other things, you may never find these things out. And it's very much the same thing here. So I've, uh, I started um, uh, with, a, with a blog, and a, an article that I've written, which uh, is called Lies, Damn Lies, and the Wrong Statistics. And uh, the, the subtitle is Measuring What Matters for Customer Success. Mm. And really it's about saying, okay, there's lots of things you can be measuring out there. But if you're not measuring the right things, it's sort of, again, like think about a car. Well, you know, you could be going the speed limit, but the, um, you, know, you could be spewing out all kinds of pollutants and all kinds of stuff into the air. So that's not necessarily a good thing. So we want to make sure we're measuring lots of the right things. Mm. And right things are going to be different for different companies. Mm. Uh, for, for many businesses, it's about, you know, they might say, well, strictly on sales. As long as, you know, our sales are going up where we're doing well. Mm. I mean, Ryanair sales are probably going up. Um, you might argue that they're not delivering great customer service. Although, in 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 um, thinking about that, they're actually delivering the customer service that Michael O'Leary says he'll deliver. You want to go from point A to point B inexpensively, we'll do it for you. Anything else, forget it. So, in many ways, they deliver what customers want. Well, and that's it. It's, it's funny, actually, because in my talk, I mentioned about, yeah, about expectations. And as you say, their expectations are set so low, they do meet them. Exactly. They don't, they don't exceed them, exactly. but they do meet them. They do. So there's a number of different th- themes that I'm, you know, I'm exploring that I think, um, you know, it really is t- kind of taking in the book what I, what I talk about and what I've been talking about for quite some time and writing about is what I call the four principles of customer experience. And this is uh, uh, culture, communication, commitment, and community. And they're intentionally fairly simple words that everyone understands. Mm. And they're, they're one, one word as opposed to a, a longer word. But most people understand culture. They understand how important it is to have a good corporate culture. And again, that's different things to different people. But unless you get that right, getting the other three is going to be hard. But if you, do, if you have a great culture, you have an organization where people really do understand what their purpose is and what their values are, and they're not just things that you write and put them up on the wall. They're things that people actually believe in then these four principles are what I call really it's the framework to build a great customer experience on. And so what I do is work with organizations to look at how those, how those, cult- how those four principles working in your organization. What's your culture like? How well do you communicate? Do you have commitment from both the top and the bottom? Is everyone committed to the cause? And from a community perspective, is, is there a real feeling of community in the organization? Because, again, when people get together, they can deliver great experiences as you know mm-hmm. and 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 i think really it's down to looking at those four things there may be more but those four for me when i've looked at successful companies they've had these four things really working well for them and then so how do you lead from that so what was the second one so it's culture communication right. commitment and community okay. and so typically what we as an example in a workshop environment what we would do we'd be working with organizations and having them self-evaluate so if we have a group of people in, in, in the workshop, we may have 10 or 15 people, well, let's start talking about culture. And you just start with a really basic question, such as, what do you think your culture is like here? And it's amazing. That, that question will spur a lot of debate. Well, you know, we could, well, you know, sometimes we don't know, you know, whatever it happens to be. And from there, you can build on the other things. So, okay, so given that that's the situation. What's the commitment like here? Do you feel you have commitment from the top? Because quite often people say, well, yes, our, our organization is totally committed to customer centricity or words like that. And then you find out actually that 
if the the leadership says, well, as long as it doesn't cost us any money, it's fine. Yes, you know, we're we're committed. But so you just get into all of those areas, and you start to understand whether or not organizations really are good at those things. Most companies could improve their communications. You know, we know that. You know, a great example of that is. Uh, you know, it's very, very topical at this point. It's the train companies. Train companies just put the rates up another 3.1%. And when you see uh, people online talking about the pro- not just the fact that they're upset about that, but almost exclusively it's about trains being delayed and no one letting them know what was going on. It's the same thing in the airlines quite often when you see some of the uh, meltdowns that the airlines have. And most people will understand if it's weather-related or something. What they don't understand is not being told what's mm. going on. And that's extremely frustrating for them. And so the companies that you tend to deal with, what are, is there a consistent reason they often come to you in the first place? Or is it just a kind of myriad of different, different things? Um, I think it's probably because they recognize that and if, I, if I've been fortunate enough for some to read the book or something like that, they sort of understand that those principles are important to them. And they, most people I talk to when I talk about those four principles will generally tell me that one or more of them isn't really functioning as it should. Mm-hmm. So there's a recognition, I think, for many of them that, yeah, those, those things we could be doing a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's a lot more honesty and... Uh, and um, realization from organizations now that they're not doing a great job mm. and i think that they uh, they're they're willing at least to do an assessment so so one of the things quite often i would start with is just a very high level assessment uh because they don't they they may think they're doing well you see a lot of st- statistics come out around customer service and customer experience and one of them that's been kicked around for a long time uh is one from uh, from gartner which says when an organization uh, or organizations uh put customer experience at the top of the list of things they want to do. And it's something like 80% of companies say that customer experience is really important to us. The other one that goes along with that is that these organizations say, you know, we believe 80% of our customers think we're delivering a great customer experience. Then they ask the customers and they find out it's actually 8% of the customers think that. So there's a huge gap, Mm. a huge gap in what organizations think they're delivering and what their customers Mm. actually tell them they're delivering. So I think it's, it's when people realize that and are honest enough to go, you know what? We're really not delivering what we should be. Mm. Um, They use statistics. They use NPS, the net promoter score that I mentioned. And quite often, I I think that tells the wrong story Mm. because they get a great NPS score. So they think, oh, we're really doing great. Well, that NPS score may have been generated from just one interaction with a customer, which probably was good. But when they look at the whole thing, when they look at the, the customer experience as a whole, there could be parts of it that aren't working as well as they could. So I think what I find is people, the, the ones that I work with normally are ones that really have an honest assessment of themselves and go, you know what, I think we could be doing better. You know, how can you help? So, and it, again, it could be strategy, it could be technology, it could be a number of things. All mm. of these things play in. Mm. And one of the reasons that customer experience sometimes doesn't get off to the start that people would like is they look at it and they think, boy, this is really complex. There's so much to this. Mm. Wow, this is going to be hard work. Well, maybe we'll just, you know, I think we're doing as well as our competitors, so we're okay. Well, it, it isn't easy. I won't pretend that it is, but in a systematic way and sort of working on things like these four principles, it's amazing how quickly you can start to get traction within an organization and begin to see improvement. 
Something that struck me when you just talked about how some people approach you because they've read your book and then they realise that maybe one of the four principles is not as strong as it could be. Mm-hmm. And the, and that's the premise that they come to you with. And then once you actually go and sort of see the whole situation, then you realise well, it's more than just one. There's actually two or three that you're really struggling with and they haven't been aware of that. Is, has that been the case? Very much. And I think you know what you find is that Again, you, you, you start to look at, you know, what are the triggers? What are the things that tell you that? So clearly, if, if, if you're starting to lose money, you know, or, or sales are down, and, you know, we've seen recently organizations like Thomas Cook showing, you know, who have had two profit warnings in the last few months. So clearly things aren't going well. Now, certainly there's been challenges, I'm sure, in the travel industry with what's going on around us with Brexit and a whole lot of other things. Uh, perhaps the weather was too warm in the UK. Nobody wanted to go for a while. But the thing is, is you have to look at everything like that. So, you know, an organization like Thomas Cook probably has to look at, you know, well, what's what's driving this? What's happening here? Is it is it our product? Is it our people? You know, what what's happening here? And I'm not suggesting it's any either of those, but I'm just saying they have to start looking at that. You look at some of the other, you know, organizations, especially in the high street. You know, they're, they're finding it very challenging, primarily because, I guess, of some of the online uh, stuff that's going on. So these companies. So it's really trying to identify, you know, where those things are. And, and it's, I think it is a little easier if someone comes in from the outside that can start to look at this and ask some hard questions. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the things I do, too. I'm not, certainly not afraid, you know, the phrase I use, I'm not afraid to tell someone the baby's ugly. Because, you know, sometimes you just have to be honest about yourselves. Mm-hmm. So... I think that, that it, it can be a number. It more often isn't just one thing. Mm. And as a result, there's no silver bullet either. Mm. And that's, that's the challenge. You know, at some point saying, well, if we fix that, everything's going to be wonderful. Well, that's mm. one thing. But they're usually connected. Mm. So it, it could be that their online presence isn't as good as it could be. They end up with uh, trying to be more digital. They want to be digitally driven. Or we want to do more things online, which is great, and, and it can be very effective. But if it's not working and then the people end up calling the company, then their costs escalate because they end up having to answer questions on the phone that, that could have been done online. Mm. And so you see quite often this is one of the things, and I'm seeing this a lot, where the, the desire to be digital – but not thinking about it holistically. What, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And do we have to have everything digital? You know, oh, yes, we've got to have this. And we, well, sometimes you don't. It depends mm-hmm. on the business. So it is often a combination of these things. It's never usually one thing. And that's why I think, you know, I feel comfortable because I've looked at this from a lot of different angles that I can usually help someone in identifying, you know, where the issue or issues are and then how we, how we address them. Before we started recording, you, we were talking about the, the opposite of, great, you know, I was going to say great expectations. I'm starting to think of uh, Dickens then. Yeah. But you said, you know, when companies like you mentioned 118 right. and petrol prices and so on. Right, right. Want to- well, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I was, I was very fortunate this uh, on Friday. I was at, a, uh, at an award uh, presentation for the WOW Awards. And the WOW Awards are uh, pre- awards given to people – um, who uh, have done something special and are nominated by customers, not just not just by anyone else in the business, by customers who've said this person's gone above and beyond. And in thinking about that, I was then thinking about, as you say, the other side of this, the people recently we've heard about. And you think about these organizations like 118, 118 that are charging people 10, 12, 15 pounds, whatever it is for a directory assistance call. That certainly isn't winning in my, my book. And I wonder, how do, how do they get to that point? At what stage are they sitting around the board?
boardroom going, well, let's see, what's a good price? Well, let's charge 10 pounds. Is that how they think about things? Is that how they think about customers? You look at the situation, as I mentioned, with petrol, where the oil prices have been going down quite significantly for some time. And uh, when I talk to people in presentations, I ask them to think about that. I say, depending on when it is, and right now I would say to someone, if you're paying more than £1.25 here in the UK for a, for a litre of petrol, you're probably not winning. You're probably paying too much. Uh, the same thing applies to the mobile phone business. You think about mobile phones. Most of us have one. Uh, most of us like to get a new smartphone on a fairly regular basis. So typically what we do is we sign a contract for 24 months with one of the mobile phone companies. At the end of that 24 months, effectively you've paid for the phone. But they rarely, if ever, contact you and say, oh, Brown, by the way, just to let you know, your, con- your, your, your contract is up and we're going to reduce the price because you've paid for the phone now. They don't do that. And that's something that Ofcom has been looking at to make sure that, that there are some of the mobile phone companies that are beginning to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a little while ago. I had a contract with one of them, decided that uh, two, two years, that was it. I didn't need a new, new phone because it was still working well. Mm-hmm. So I just went off and got a SIM-only contract, and I saved myself. I think I was paying something like 80 pounds a month for two phones, dropped that down to 20 pounds a month. Wow. And the service is just as good. Well, that's a significant difference. So that's winning. I mean, that's to me yeah. winning to me. So, th- so that's what I mean when people when people get that feeling. Mm. And you know, I happen to use GIFGAF, who is a, a great example of a community uh, organization. And the service is great. The, the the service meaning I can actually get phone calls. One of the challenges I had with my previous provider was they couldn't always deliver service, mm. and as a result, I missed phone calls. Now I never miss a phone call. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I have a certain amount of data. We all have certain, you know, how much data you need. Never go over that. And I never pay more than £10 a month. It's great. And so where would you say that the the phone companies, you know, most of the big players are setting quite bad examples, and it's often the smaller ones that are leading the way with new innovation and so on. Where can you... Where do you see that going? Do you have any ideas on that? Well, it's interesting where that's going because there was a great example or a great article in the papers this Sunday about all of the utility companies. You may have been reading it. You know, there's quite a few of them gone bust. And it's because there's this, these org- couple of organizations that can develop a utility company in a box. They effectively sell you a utility company. And you buy the, you can buy this and, and just go off and, yeah, we'll provide service for you. Well, some of them, of course, are finding out that they can't do it that easily. And so while the idea of being agile and flexible and a new smart company is great, it doesn't always work well. And there's no question. It, it is hard to compete with you know, companies that have the resources. And, of course, this is where some of the complacency comes from. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of people like BT and, and uh, some of the mobile phone companies. And almost everyone I speak to when, when will tell me a BT story. I, it's rare that I, when I tell people what I do, they don't, oh, BT, let me tell you about How much BT. time have you got? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I, I think the challenge for those, those businesses is, is because they are, you know, what, what we want to call them legacy businesses. They've been around for a long time. Hmm. It, there's a lot of people. It's, it's the Queen Mary story, isn't it? Turning that around is not easy. Hmm. But I think that they, they have to start – the thing I talk about a lot is you know, empowering people, letting people be themselves. Most people left to their own devices in an individual situation will always help people. We, we're just – we're wired to do that. Mm. Yet people in many of these businesses are not given that opportunity. Mm. So the policies and procedures – so these organizations really have to take a long, hard look at how they do business – because most of the people in the, those, those businesses – and I've done many side-by-sides with – 
agents and advisors in these large organizations. And they're all decent people. They're not bad people, but they're stuck with really dumb policies and procedures. They're quite often lacking the technology. That's what I was mentioning earlier, to be able to find answers for company for customers quickly enough. And as a result, they get frustrated. And at the end of, you know, 20 uh, 20 calls, you think, oh boy, you know, I just, I, 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 there's no point in me trying to fix this for a customer because I, I, I don't have the resources or I don't have the ability to do it. So there's a lot of frustration. So some of these younger companies have been able to bring people in. And I guess one of the best examples, not necessarily in the phone business, but uh, a company that a lot of people point to in the U.S. is Zappos. Mm-hmm. And Zappos is a company I'm sure many people talk about. And, you know, what they've been able to do is they just brought people in. They've created an environment, created a culture where, where things can happen. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, that's fine, Jerry, but hey, it's great with these new companies. But, you know, the older companies, well, I don't buy that. I think anyone can. Yes, it will take longer with someone like BT. It will take longer with someone like EE or O2. But it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, as all of these things become more and more commoditized, they are pretty commoditized now, these organizations are going to struggle to keep customers. And, and I think one of the biggest differences there, from that example you've used there, Zappos employ people who and, and, and allow them to use their initiative, whereas companies like BT just employ very poorly educated people who have no initiative and aren't allowed to use it even if they do have any. Exactly. And, and I think that, again, comes back to uh, a, you know, a big sea change in culture. So, you know, I come back to my four principles. What's the culture in the organization? And I'm guessing, and, you know, one of the things I, I, I use as a test when I talk to people, I say to, okay, so if, you, um, if I gave you a T-shirt and you could put anything on it you want to walk into a pub, how many would you want a, a, a T-shirt that has, I work for BT on it, and you walk into a pub? Would, would you do that? <laughs> I work for a train company and walk into a pub. Would you do that? Mm. And so the, that's a question of pride. Am I proud of what I do? Mm. Now, again, it comes back to people that need, a, need jobs. I'm not, I'm not being judgmental here. If you, need, if you need a job and there's an opportunity to work in a BT contact center, well, maybe you take it. That's, mm. that's life. And as as one very small cog in that wheel, it's probably hard to turn it around. Mm. But again, it comes down to people, some of these organizations just need to trust their people and see what happens when they, when they let them, if you like, you let them use their own judgment in doing things. If you think about the phone business, mm. you know, most, most, most individuals, certainly in, in small businesses, you know, they don't have huge phone bills. So if you had to do something nice for somebody as an organization, it's probably not going to cost you a huge amount of money. So, all right, Mr. Brown, we can, we can write that 10-pound charge off for you. Mm. And I can't, I can't see doing that for everyone. Of course you can't do it. But begin to trust. Trust your people. Start mm. letting them make some decisions. Mm. And when you start doing that, you realize that, you know, actually this is, this is working well. Mm. You get much greater customer advocacy. This, this one, the, the people, the, the employees feel a whole lot better, and it just changes the whole dynamic. But again, it doesn't happen quickly, and it's up to the organizations to begin to trust in their people. And what's frustrating is I go to a lot of conferences. I see a lot of these people talking at conferences about, oh, yes, we're changing, we're, you know, we're, and, they're, and they're just not. Mm-hmm. And if you ask the people working in them, they say, no, we're, you know, we're, it's the same old place. So uh, no easy answers, but, but I think what we're seeing with these other companies, and I think what's happening is that whatever you think of Amazon and their tax policies or people like this, they're changing the dynamic because companies are no longer comparing themselves with companies in the same sector. They compare themselves with – they say, well, if Amazon can do this, 
why can't you do this? Mm. And a lot of those things are down to people and, and, and procedurals. So, you know, if you want to change things, you can change that. Yes, of course, Amazon has a huge reach. But a lot of the things they do, they do because they just, they just treat people the right way, mm. both customers and employees. Can you give examples or any stories of ways that you've been able to help people and um, help companies give their customers much better experiences? Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of work that I've been doing, it, it's typically been with, with some of these larger organizations that I mentioned. Um, not, I mean, partly because I, I guess I feel comfortable with those. I've done quite a lot of work with my technology background. I did quite a lot of work like that. But um, one of the uh, one of the organizations I, I did some work with around um, the area of um, their uh, systems, their internal systems. A lot of these companies have these very old legacy systems. Now they're really good because what they do is they do a lot of the heavy lifting. So they could be order entry systems, they could be ticketing systems, billing systems, and so on. And because of that, they're they're, they're you're not going to sort of get rid of those right away. But what many businesses are challenged with is that when someone calls in, quite often they get asked a question that is not relevant to them personally. They get asked for an order number. They get asked for a ticket number. They ask something, oh, oh I, I don't know, I don't, I don't have that. Ask me my name. Ask me my postcode. Ask me my birthday. I can tell you that. And so what we found was with one organization we worked with is in being able to design a uh, a system whereby using cloud technology, which is pretty ubiquitous these days, so you're using um, you know, a custom, what we call a customer data platform for effectively where the data can reside or can at least reside for a period of time. So a customer calls in, more often than not now we're using their phone number or some other identifier. I mean, if you still want to use things like interactive voice response and these kinds of things to get that information, you can get it. So once I've got that single piece of information, now I know who you are. So when I present that call to, to an advisor, they can get that information. Now, that's not new stuff. I was developing some of this stuff 25 years ago. But being able to use a much more flexible and agile system to do that means that the advisor immediately has visibility of all those customers' interactions. They don't have to go into these heavy systems, these big heavy systems, because when you hear somebody say to you on the phone, oh, my system's slow today, that's code for I've got to go to so many different screens, I've lost the will to live. And what we've done and I've done with you know, working with people is find those solutions that help them get that information to the advisor much, much quicker, a much broader range of information. As a result, the customer doesn't have to repeat things. The customer has confidence in the advisor because they realize they know, oh, yes, Mr. Brown, I see you placed that order with us last week. I'm sorry it hasn't arrived yet. Let me see what I can do to help you out. Mm. So having that information much quicker is kind of some of the things we've done. And also, again, giving, giving people once, – once people in the, uh, in the contact center realize that that's doable, they, I mean, they, they want to do it. They want to do a great job. So uh, what I find we, we can help is getting them they, – they know where the bodies are buried, and they can probably give you a detailed map. So they know the challenges that they face. Mm. So that's the place to start. And a lot of the work I do is starting with the people in the contact center or the frontline people, whatever that happens to be. So helping them get information more quickly – more accurately and and in a way that is presented to them so they have a full picture is really how I've been able to help a lot of people. With the the new technology and artificial intelligence and so on that's going to kind of take over more and more in the next few years, how do you see that changing the whole area of customer experience? Well, I think the the people that talk about this uh, in terms of, you know, what, what it will do 
tend to, to think that it is going to take care of the more mundane tasks, which it will. There's no question about that. Any organization that's done a lot of research into why people are calling them quite often find it is for very basic things. You know, what are your hours of operation? When do you close? Where are you? And that kind of stuff. And there's no question that using AI for that can be, can be very effective. I think also you find that it can take them a certain distance through a journey. So when you, you know, people talk about doing customer journeys, and I think what we're going to see is that AI will certainly be used, and some of the you know, examples I've seen, people are using it more effectively, especially if, if it is something where the people calling or the people interacting want to self-serve, because a lot of us don't want to talk to people in contact centers. We're frustrated with that. So there's a willingness to, to, for, the, for people to do it. Now, as long as at some point you realize, no, I can't handle this anymore, and you have the ability to cha- transfer that to a real person, because we're not going to replace humans with this. It's not, it's not a replacement. It is to be able to have people engage with people for the more complex things, to spend more time with them rather than being uh, worried about getting off the phone because their manager is saying, well, you've been on the call too long. You, you know, get, they can now spend the appropriate time because what happens is that when self-serve or online or whatever it is, when it doesn't do the job, effectively what you've decided to do is outsource your customer service. That's what you've decided to do. Mm-hmm. When it fails, if you don't have the people backing it up appropriately, then you're really going to fail big time. People are really going to be upset. They've tried to do it online. They want to do it online. Now they call you. And as an example, if the people in the organization don't know what you've done, don't know where you've been, don't know what the issues are. And quite often this happens. They'll say, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Brown, I, I, I can't see. I don't, I don't have access. Oh, the website's not working. Oh, I didn't know that. Very frustrating for customers. So it's really about using AI and chatbots and all of these things to take care of the things that people don't necessarily want to do or shouldn't do, but making sure that when you've done that, you've got the ability to have someone backing it up and being aware of where they've been. Because otherwise... It just increases their frustration. Well, we've almost come to the end. It's been fascinating. But before we Thank finish, sure. what are your thoughts on why? I mean, so typically the, the listeners of the show are sure. often people in small businesses. Right. What are your thoughts on why people should think about over-delivering and giving a, a, an amazing experience? Well, I think the thing is, is that the reality is it doesn't cost you any more. And I think people sometimes think, oh, well, if I have to do that, either I have to hire more people or, or whatever the reality is about it. Great example I'll give you of a small business. I live in in uh, West Sussex, and um, I have uh, this taxi company that I do business with. And it's in Haywards Heath, a town of about 20,000 people, serves that area. It's not the biggest company in the world. The first time I ever dealt with them, I called in, uh, booked a ca- taxi, lovely people on the phone, and they had some very simple technology. I hadn't even hung up the phone. I had a text confirming my, my appointment. The day, I think it was picking me up the next day, and the morning of, I had another text, Mr. Brown, just to let you know we'll be with you at such and such a time. And then, um, just before the driver arrived, the driver will be on his way, and he's in this, this car, and this is the license number. Now, of course, some of that is driven by Uber and stuff that Uber have done. But the point is, here's a small business that decided that this kind of thing uh, is, is worth their while. It's reassurance. It, isn't it's it? reassurance. It's, and it's just because that's, that's the important thing. What, what, you know, when you think about a taxi, what's important? Are they going to come? Do they know? Have they forgotten? You know, you've got get to get to an airport. So, mm. so here's an example of a small business that you, has used both technology and people in, in a really 
not that innovative, but but just you won't see that everywhere. Mm. So I think the, the, my message to any business is the cost of not doing it will always be far greater than mm-hmm. the cost of investing in it. So whether that's people, whether it's some technology, the combination of both, I really encourage people to think about doing these things, not just for the sake of technology, but how it can help your people, how it can help your customers. And in the long run, it will pay dividends. So how, if people want to find out more about you, Jerry, where would they go? Sure. Well, they can look at my uh, my website, which is uh, thecustomerlifeguard.com. That's, uh, well, that's one place. The Customer Lifeguard. The Customer Lifeguard. Yes, it, was, um, it came about um, because I started to think about uh, what – you know what people were were trying to do out there and i i had um doing you know professional speaking with the professional speaking association i thought i needed something a bit more recognizable so i came up with the idea i thought about different things i thought the customer champion and i think as you know tony in our business we've got a number of people you know you're you're one you're the value creator so i decided i needed something that was just a bit more meaningful for people so i came up with the idea of the customer lifeguard saving the world from bad customer service so um um, if people want to go to my website, www.customerlifeguard.com, they will find out more about me and some of the programs I've got and how to get in touch with me. So I'm delighted to hear from them. And we'll put a link to your book in the in the show notes and also Fabulous, a link yeah. to your website. That would well. be great. Thank you very and, um, much. Yeah, it's if you want to get in touch with Jerry. Also, there's the, the Exceeding Expectations Facebook group. Yep. You know, dive in there, ask questions, and we can forward them to Jerry if you've got any questions you'd like to, to ask of Jerry. Yeah, well, that was great. I'm glad you, you set that up. So I'm, I'm glad to be a member of that because that's, you're right. I think that's what nobody should worry about exceeding expectations <laughs> that's really not going to cost you any money that mm. that is what we should be doing mm. and it does i guess just one small final point we talk a lot about wowing people and there's a lot of discussion about what well, should we be wowing them should we be making it easy well i think the reality is is that sometimes we just wanted an easy experience we just want to be able to go online do our banking online and that's it mm. and then sometimes if something goes wrong we need to be wowed. Mm. so there's room for both yeah. they're not mutually exclusive Jerry, thank you for your time. Really, My pleasure. Really appreciate all the fantastic uh, advice and suggestions and stories that you've been sharing. Over well, last thank you, Tony. I'm glad to, glad to do it. Thank you very much. Thank you. In next week's episode, episode 17, we speak with a lady called Jane Blackman. She's a humanist uh, celebrant. She does both weddings and funerals. So she delivers the services at weddings and funerals. And I've heard from a few people, she really goes out of her way to give um, an experience that really was much more than people could have even hoped for in something which is as emotional as, as a wedding or a funeral. I mean, they're quite opposite ends of the spectrum, but both very emotional. And so we're going to hear from her how she's able to over-deliver on her customers' expectations. Please subscribe to the show, and if you if you like it, it would be great if you could leave a review. That would be really appreciated. If you're not sure how to leave a review, I recently did a blog post and a couple of videos, and we'll, I'll link to those in the show notes if you would like to leave a review. If you've heard someone you think would make a great guest for the show, please do get in touch. You can do that on the Facebook group, which is just search for Exceeding Expectations on the Facebook group and hope you have a fantastic week and see you next week.